John Katsimatidis and his family welcome you to a special Christmas Day broadcast. And now, here he is, John Katsimatidis. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning, Christmas Day. What a beautiful, cold day. And uh, we have a great show. We have uh, Congresswoman Mario Takis, Ron, Senator Ron Johnson, He's mad as heck on the omnibus bill. Zach Williams, the Albany reporter of the New York Post. Boy, he's one smart guy. And let's start off with a Christmas song by my friend Angelina Jimenez. Drive a sled. So take me to the leader of the greatest renown. Cause there's so many Santas in this town. Now there's the one who can't control his eight reindeer. And there's the one at the mall who seems to lack some basic cheer. So take me to the North Pole, to the top of the tree. Cause there's so many Santas. Though there's magic in all of his brethren, they always report to the king. He's the one who's at the heart of the engine. So many Santas in this town And I love every one of those old clowns Now where's the one Who turns the whole world Upside with us right now we have new york congresswoman nicole maliotakis she's always been a a fighter for what's right for some common sense policies they're fighting for our our constituents here in new york uh welcome to the cats roundtable 
great to be with both of you. Thank you. Uh, tell us uh, what, what, you know, we're, it's Christmas Day and uh, uh, Christmas weekend, and, and uh, we're coming up to 10 days to the new year. Uh, tell us the things that you're upset about and things that you look forward to fixing in the new year. Well, Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners. And uh, obviously, we have a lot of challenges in our country right now. Uh, and I'm hopeful that in the new year, despite having a split Congress uh, with a Senate that's Democrat and, and a House that's Republican, that we can get uh, some good things done. We left uh, session, uh, I thought, on a rather uh, grim note, uh, seeing how uh, they jammed through this incredibly uh, massive spending package that increased uh, the federal spending by $119 billion and did everything from giving money to Middle Eastern and African countries for their border security while not requiring our own border be secure, uh, added more anti-energy policies that are just going to further increase the costs of uh, food and energy on our consumers, American families, uh, and uh, really just, I thought, had misplaced priorities. Here in New York, we were advocating for fully funding Zadroga, making sure we filled that $3 billion gap. And when you think about the spending, a $1.7 trillion bill, and that they didn't find the $3 billion to give for our 9-11 heroes while putting in so much money uh, to continue facilitating illegal immigration and providing for those in our country unlawfully. Uh, it was really disturbing. So I'm hoping that we turn the page with the new Congress, with the Speaker Kevin McCarthy at the helm, that we're able to push back on this administration, hold them accountable, and try to make some progress. And I think for me, the priorities are obviously for me, would be to let's let's work on reducing inflation. Let's work on getting our economy back on track. Let's take some of the pressure that uh, small businesses and job creators have been feeling over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, but let's also uh, work on unleashing America's energy independence. That is critical if we're going to lower costs for consumers, if we're going to lower the, the food, food prices, if we're going to help people be able to afford to heat their homes in the winter. Uh, that is a, a major part of this. And the other thing is to secure our border. And I think one of the things I was most upset about in this last package that passed is that the Senate Republicans didn't stand firm and say, we want a secure border or we're not going to pass anything. Uh, and so the alternative was not to shut the government down. The alternative was simply to extend the current funding levels so that way uh, it goes into the new year where the House Republicans will be leading and will have the leverage to uh, push for border security measures and hold the administration accountable. Unfortunately, Senate Republicans, by going along with the Democrats last week, basically took away our leverage and the power of the purse, which was a big disappointment. Congresswoman, why would any Republican vote for this thing? especially without a Title 42 protection there. We could see upwards of 15,000 migrants pouring into this country, and while they do come through the border down south, a lot of them come up here, and then they stay here, and this is simply not sustainable. We're not ready for it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really disappointing that at the minimum, the least they could have done was demand that Title 42 be permanent. Uh, Senator Mike Lee of Utah put in an amendment, and it was shot down. That that really bothers me. It should bother every American when you see millions of people crossing into our country, well over 70% of them do not have legitimate asylum cases, and yet they're being allowed to proceed into other parts of the country. Here in New York City, a price tag of a billion dollars just uh, for the 30,000 migrants that have come so far. 
uh, and and it, you know the the it will just continue to grow. But aside from just the illegal immigration, uh, record fentanyl being pumped into our country. Over a hundred thousand Americans died from a drug overdose last year. They caught fentanyl at the border. Uh, the DEA have has caused fentanyl it would kill uh, every American in this country. Uh, imagine what is still coming through, what they haven't been able to catch. And that is why we're seeing these record overdoses. So we have to stop and defeat the drug cartels. We need to secure our border. We cannot allow uh, people uh, who are on the terrorist watch list to enter. And, you know, they've caught a hundred of those, by the way, on the terrorist watch list. And there's a million more gotaways that have entered our country. Who is among those gotaways? That is the question we should really beg and want to know. Uh, and, and I think that the administration is doing a disservice uh, for our national security, for our public safety, uh, for our fight against fentanyl uh, by not working with us to secure the border. Congresswoman, we have a minute left. What do you have to say to the Biden administration or to the American people? Because the Biden administration is basically saying that it's it's Congress's fault that the border is such a mess because immigration needs to be re- reformed. What do you have to say to that? Yeah, well, look, I, I I think immigration does need to be fixed, and I think that I think it is difficult and in a, to find solutions in a bipartisan way because Republicans want to start with border security. If you're not going to stop the flow of uh, this mass migration, we, we really can't we can't go anywhere in this conversation. Uh, but it is the Biden administration that made things worse. Let's be clear; they intentionally repealed the Trump era executive uh, orders that were in place. They went to court to fight. Uh, the, 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 the Remain in Mexico provision to fight Title 42. Uh, they actually refused to go to the border and actually meet with Customs and Border Protection agents who were begging for support. You had 14 suicides resulting from the apathy that they have because the administration doesn't have their back, not giving them the tools they need to do their job. Uh, and you see hundreds of migrants that have been killed. So it's not compassionate for anyone involved. And it comes at a tremendous cost to the taxpayer. So we want a solution, but the solution has to start with securing the border and stopping the flow. You know, if you don't do that, we're going to continue to have this cycle, uh, and it's going to continue to really be a tremendous burden on already struggling uh, American taxpayers. Well, thank you so much, Congresswoman Nicole Meliotakis, for all that you do. Thank you, ma'am. Merry Christmas. Thank you both. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. City sidewalks. Busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Today's Christmas. With us today is Governor David Patterson, and uh, he's one guy with a lot of common sense and and is respected by Republicans and Democrats. Uh, Governor Patterson, what are you doing this uh, beautiful? Uh, uh, Snowy day or cold day, whatever you want to call it. We're going to stay at home, and uh, my son is going to come over. My daughter lives way up in Westchester, so we're going to take care of her in the new year because her son will turn one, and so we'll have a party for him. But we're just going to kind of sit around. Of course, we went away during um, during Thanksgiving, uh, uh, which one of our colleagues, Lydia, uh, uh, Lydia Serrano, thought that I came back with a tan. But no, you don't come back from a tan when you go to Lake George. So I'm, I'm staying right here. Albany is rather quiet, except everybody decided to come back to work uh, to give themselves a pay raise. Well, the pay raise would have to be passed before January 1st this year. Or they would have to wait until the what would be the 19, the 2025 and 26 period 
to give themselves a pay raise. So they had to do it by the end of this year. And this is kind of a standard issue. This is usually when it's voted in, and the public doesn't know that much about it because they're celebrating Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's and Kwanzaa and any other distraction that the holidays uh, provide. But this particular pay raise passage is very interesting because Governor Hochul said last week that she was against any tax uh, increases for the wealthy or mostly anybody else. She said she passed some tax cuts. Why would she turn around and uh, grant that continuous taxation of people who have options and can move out of this state? It's a very good statement, and it's reflective of who I think we're going to get as governor as opposed to who became governor but then had to run for the office. Now, what she could have done, and the Post said that she failed to attach the pay raise to bail reform and failed to uh, you know, attach it to um, some other things that, that could have happened. <clears throat> but I think after she made the statement about the taxes, there was a strong rumor that she was going to do that. So sometimes when you're in government and you're trying to get things done, uh, just getting into an outright fight with your adversaries isn't the way. What you do is the shot across the bow. And I think this is the shot across the bow. And I would suggest to anybody who thinks that she was afraid to do it, that she will not be afraid once they get into uh, legislative session because the legislature needs the governor more than the governor needs the legislature. And they're going to find that out. The legislature, that's an interesting statement. The legislature needs the governor more than the governor needs the legislature. The That's problem, interesting. The Tell problem us about with, that. The problem with me, John, is it took me about two years to figure that out. <laughs> My God. There was other rumors around that uh, that she wanted some bail reform on condition that she goes for the uh, uh, for the uh, uh, right. raise. And I would not be surprised if those rumors were started by very people very sympathetic to her uh, because... The legislature, after they heard what she said about the taxes last week, hearing this would be a whole lot more believable than if she hadn't gone on the record herself about taxes. So I think that they will get the, uh, well, they've gotten the pay raise basically by now. And what I would say is that they'll be very happy that she didn't do what she could have done. And I think that will help them be more favorable to some of the things she wants to do in the future because she's not running for re-election for another four years. They are running in the next two years, and also they have to be accountable, and they saw what happened to some of the congressional representatives that thought that they could ignore the crime issue. On uh, Thursday afternoon, they appointed a new uh, uh, chief justice. Do you know that person at all? I've met him. His name is Hector LaSalle. He's always been quite a gentleman when I've seen have seen him. But, you know, in life, the less you see judges, the better off you are. So I would, can only say that the commission that recommended Senate seven candidates to become the chief judge, that uh, commission named him as one of the seven candidates, and Governor Hochul took him. There were some strong objections, some of them which I think went over the line, John, by those who felt that uh, the commission snubbed a lot of the African-American and Hispanic judges who had served with honor and with valor. And also they felt that, um, that the commission had an agenda of its own and that the person at the, behind the commission 
was the former chief judge, Janet DeFiori, and they had some real problems with her, and they wrote some letters to the governor. And, um, and the governor really, this is very interesting, in 2008, the commission, I believe, thought that I was going to appoint a judge named uh, Carmen Saperic, that I was going to make her the chief judge upon the retirement of Judge Judith Kay. Because they thought I was going to do that, they left her off of the list of seven, and the, the Attorney General, Andrew Cuomo, and I had a press conference where we blasted the uh, commission for not putting this judge who had served a long time and was really uh, Judge Judith Kay's partner on, on the Court of Appeals. And then uh, Attorney General Cuomo issued a, an advisory opinion to me that I should pick from the seven judges that the commission offered, so I picked uh, Judge Jonathan Littman. But that is an issue that's never been... Judge Jonathan Littman, he's the judge that's shutting down Rikers Island. Yeah, uh, yes, <laughs> he, he was there at that particular I time. I don't think that's very smart. And what do you think these days? Well, I think... Now that it's all done, I mean, uh, I think there's rumors around that... that uh, uh, Eric Adams wants to walk back the shutting down of, of Rikers Island. Is that possible? I think it's very possible because if you're going to have stronger police presences, which the governor and the mayor both say there's going to be, then obviously more people are going to be arrested. You could probably fill the place up just on the people who jump the turnstiles on the subway these days, and that would call for more spaces, and it would almost, it would almost compel the authorities to reopen Rikers Island. That's pretty uh, well, pretty tough stuff, but that's what... So even though happened. this is a slow week, and a slow weekend, we have a new uh, appeals judge, it looks like. Uh, we have pay raises, it looks like. We don't know if anything's going on with the bail law. I don't know if, if the governor is going to hold back actually signing the bill until the last minute. No, she, well... Did she sign it? Would she, you think... I believe is going to sign it. I, I think if she was going to stop it, then all she had to do was make a statement that she wouldn't sign it. Because if she vetoes it, they didn't have time to come back and try to override her veto. So I think she'll sign it. I, I don't think she played any games with this. But I do think that she is flicking the jabs that a good fighter always learned. You win fights with the jabs. But when it comes time... If she doesn't get the cooperation she thinks she should get, they might be very surprised. I had this problem with the legislature back in 2010. I told them they couldn't have their discretionary member items unless they passed the budget and, and balanced the budget. They came with the 500, within $500 million of balancing the budget and said, that's close enough. Sign it. I said to them, we are not playing horseshoes. Either you close that $500 million budget gap, which isn't that much, but they wouldn't do it. So what I did was I vetoed all of the discretionary member items, and then uh, they sent the bills to me, and they sent them uh, in boxes and said that I had an auto pen that was going to sign it. And to show them that I didn't need an auto pen, I sat there for eight and a half hours and signed every veto. And I don't think the legislature ever forgot it. And the governor who took my place, Andrew Cuomo, didn't allow them to have uh, member items. And so they killed their own member items 
trying to push a governor around once too often. You're my hero. <laughs> You're you. my hero. I think you did the right thing. And then they came after the independent Democrats. One of them, who was a really great legislator, Senator Diane Savino, is now going to work with yeah. uh, Mayor Eric Adams. And she'll lady. be she'll be terrific there. Very great lady. And um, and I actually was the one that talked to her into running for office. So John here on Christmas, that's my Christmas present to myself that I get to say that. God bless you. Thank you, uh, Governor Patterson. Merry Christmas. Enjoy this uh, great weekend. Merry Christmas to all the listeners and to you, John, and your family. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Merry Christmas, Peter King. How are you? John, I'm doing fine. I'm down here in North Carolina with my uh, daughter and her family. And uh, right outside of Charlotte, in a place called Waxhaw, we were in South Carolina a few days ago, too, uh, checking that out. And, uh, again, it's, it's always great to be with family, and I want to wish you and all of our listeners today a very Merry Christmas. It's a great Christmas day. Well, other than being cold in New York and other than the, the threat of snow, it's a beautiful day. Yeah, it's actually very cold down here in North Carolina, too, believe it or not. It was like yesterday on Saturday, it was about 15, 18 degrees, something like that. So I don't even, know, maybe the Russians are the people, their uh, Arctic yeah. area here. Now tell us, I hope you don't get to like uh, North Carolina too much, uh, Peter. No, no, I'm, I'm in New York. You can't get rid of me that easily. I'll be, I'll be in New York forever and so, uh, yeah, right. you know, until New York gets rid of me. But no, I, no matter what, with all its ups and downs, uh, New York is still you know, the greatest place to be. Well, thank God. Now, I, John, I one thing, that, though, as far as New York, so. what we really do need, New York, we, you know, uh, we are running short on the uh, 9-11 health care money. Uh, when we passed the law several times in, uh, you know, recent years, uh, we always took the best estimates to how much uh, money would be needed. But now it turns out that there are so many more people becoming ill from 9-11 uh, conditions that the uh, it's going to – we need another four three point nine. Four billion dollars to make the uh, uh, make sure the fund is there, so that you know all the uh, patients and all the victims can be treated. And uh, so uh, Chuck Schumer was hoping to get that money in the uh, you know the year-end uh, budget resolution or the omnibus bill, as they call it. But unfortunately, uh, it was blocked, and first nothing went in. But he was able to get one billion, which is really a short-term payment. But we really have to get that extra three billion. There were so many people who have been affected by the illnesses from 9-11, and it'll be a tragedy if that fund is allowed to run short because so many of those illnesses are unique to 9-11, and we have the specialists to deal with them and test for them and treat them. So we have to make sure we get that money in there. And, again, we fell short this time, but at least got $1 billion. I know it sounds like a, a lot of money, but when you're talking about so many people that are so ill and need the testing and the treatment, uh, we have to get more. So, anyway... Uh, it's uh, that, that's something we have to look for in the new year. But I give Chuck credit for at least getting that one billion in there now. 
And in the House, uh, Congressman Garbarino, the person who took uh, uh, my place in Congress, is leading the charge in the House on that. He's really going all out uh, to get the uh, all the money that's needed for the uh, uh, 9-11 health care. So anyway, between Chuck Schumer and the, hopefully the votes for the newly elected uh, Republican congressman in New York that made that made the difference uh, uh, to the GOP. I hope they remember that, and they, I hope they take care of New Yorkers. Me and you live here. Yeah, and uh, I don't want to be telling these, because I'm not down there anymore. I don't want to tell them how to do their job. But right now, Republicans, uh, even though they will uh, control the House, will not be able to get anything through without the support of the New York Republican delegation. And uh, we have to, I think, if they can use that leverage all the, as strongly as they can to make sure that that 9-11 health money is put in the next spending bill that goes out. Because, uh, you know, I, I, you know, during the time that I was down there, I often saw that uh, uh, Republicans uh, didn't bother taking care of New York because they figured they couldn't win it. And Democrats didn't take care of New York because they felt they couldn't lose it. But now we have the leverage. Now the fact is Republicans can't get anything done unless the New York delegation is on board. And so I'm uh, uh, hopeful that uh, that's going to, uh, you know, that they will use that leverage down there. Uh, I agree with you because Republicans and Democrats have to work together. And uh, New York needs help because of all the things that happen. And besides that, uh, it needs money. Uh, Mayor Adams needs money for all these uh, people that are crossing the border. The whole issue of the of the expense and the cost that the uh, illegal immigration is uh, you know, causing uh, cities like New York. I mean, you have so many thousands coming up here, and they need health care, they need housing, they uh, need, uh, again, you know, protections. Uh, you know, the kids are going to end up in the schools. I mean, uh, and that, that's really one of the consequences that uh, it seems like, you know, the uh, Biden administration doesn't take into account when they've let the borders open, you know, the way they have. You mentioned uh, Mayor Adams, and, you know, uh, I can be critical, you can be critical, people, people can be critical, but the fact is that he has made real progress in fighting crime. I give a lot of the credit for that to uh, Commissioner Keach and Sewell. But, you know, when they had the you know, the year-end report, the fact is that murders are down, shootings are down, there's still too much crime. But the fact is real progress is being made, and the mayor's got to keep it up. If he's, you know, If the job isn't done, obviously we have the right to criticize him. But when he is getting it done, and they are making progress, and Keyshawn Sewell certainly is, and the NYPD certainly is, I think we should give them the credit for it and encourage them to do more. And so well, both, both, I'm, both of us have I'm been supporting him. Here. Yes, both of us have been supporting him, and I look forward to him doing a great job. I said to him, you've got to take the leadership for the, the Democratic cities for the country and help make a difference in this crime situation. There was a report uh, on Friday that the retail stores are going bankrupt because there was $900 million or something of shoplifting. No, no, it really is. I mean, so many stores, even, by the way, I'm seeing it in uh, Nassau County. It's not just in New York City. I mean, it's much more extreme in New York City. But in New York, people are just walking out there shoplifting, the expenses. And you're saying even with fuel, all of it is just really a disgrace. The other thing that people were upset about, and I spoke to uh, Senator Mike Lee the other day uh, during the omnibus thing, that uh, uh, they provided for border security for three countries in uh, in the Middle East or in Europe, uh, Jordan, et cetera, et cetera, 
and zero border security provided for for our own border. I mean, I mean, I love all our people in Washington, but why would they do that? Well, there's two things. One, they should definitely provide the border security for the United States. The reason, John, otherwise it's done in countries like Jordan and Yemen, that's really protection against uh, al-Qaeda and ISIS and uh, also Iran, uh, which tries to uh, undercut King Abdullah in Jordan. So listen, it's not just really border security. It really is part of our defense posture over there. And we also coordinate that with Israel to protect our interests in, in the Middle East. But the point is well taken. It's also important to protect our own country. In fact, that's most important. That, that should be done because people coming across the border, uh, you know, the fentanyl, is, you know, the point you always made, you're the one that brought it to my attention, is that we've lost more people in one year to fentanyl in the United States than we did from uh, all of the uh, uh, Vietnam War, uh, Korean War, uh, Desert and Storm, Afghanistan. Yes. Iraq, Afghanistan, all of them, yeah, in one year. 107,000 people. And in wow. 12 months, fentanyl has killed them. More people than died in Vietnam and, and in Korea. Wow. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Terrible. Well, can you wish our audience a Merry Christmas uh, at least? And, and, and let's wish that 2023, that 2022 is behind us, and 2023 is going to be a better year for all Americans. Thank you, John. Merry Christmas to you and everyone else, and let's enjoy the rest of Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Enjoy your grandkids. Take care. Thank you, John. With us today on Christmas Day, we have Senator Ron Johnson from Middle America. The big omnibus bill on uh, on Friday. And what does it mean to the American people? Uh, with us, uh, Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, happy uh, New Year and Merry Christmas today. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners, John. Um, I, I wish we could talk about something a little more cheerful. But uh, I think what it primarily means is a continuation of the same. Uh, what I continue to say during this entire debate is what was so disconcerting was the whistling past the graveyard nature of the debate. I mean, we're, we're over $31 trillion in debt. Uh, there's no end in sight. You know, the only rationale on part of Republicans to vote for this, and I think this is the rationale many of them use, is that uh, you know, we got what we wanted in defense spending, but a number of us have been pointing out that uh, as matter of as Admiral Mike Mullen once said, the greatest threat to our national security is our debt and deficit. I agree with that. And what I kept pointing out is because of the 40-year high inflation, uh, the $858 billion they secured in this uh, omnibus is literally only worth $750 billion in pre-Biden administration spending dollars. Uh, a dollar you helped start the Biden administration is, is worth less than 88 cents today because of inflation. What sparked inflation? Massive deficit spending. So just from that standpoint alone, we, we should have allowed the House to come in the next Congress with a Republican majority. You know, we, we had, uh, uh, I guess, future Speaker McCarthy come into our conference and, and you know, tell the senators, please, you know, have confidence in us. You know, let, let us take a look at this. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the arrogance of uh, our leadership, uh, they said, well, no, we, we know better than, than House members. We're, we're going to pass this and take this off your plate. Further mortgage our kids' future, and then we'll, you know, we'll get religion next year when it comes to uh, fiscal sanity. I'm, I'm not buying it, and unfortunately, our our, our supporters aren't going to buy it either. Very, very disappointing. Uh, Kim Strauss has a great article in the Wall Street Journal that kind of lays it out uh, in Friday's edition. We're, we're, we're going to keep fighting, though, John. You, you saw a group of us uh, 
myself, Mike Lee, Rand Paul, Rick Scott, uh, Mike Braun. We, we were doing everything we could to resist this and point out, you know, for example, the earmarks, 625 pages, you know, $10 to $11 billion worth of specific earmarks when the, the states are sitting on close to $400 billion of surplus and rainy day funds, and, and we're still finding the need to grease the skids with that gateway drug called earmarks to the tune of $11 billion within a $1.7 trillion omnibus. It's just, it's just gross. I mean, I, I have no other words to describe it other than it's an abomination. It's grotesque. Senator Mitch McConnell's excuse for doing it is he got what he wanted for defense. Is that true? Well, that was the rationale. We, you know, he was calling it a great win that we broke the parity. You know, Democrats have always required if, if we're going to increase defense spending by a buck, you have to increase domestic spending. But as I kept saying, to, to declare that a victory, to say that's a win, that's like a football team that just lost the game 60 to zero and they kick a field goal in the waning seconds and, and say the field goal is a big win. No, it's, we just got our, you know, what's handed to us. Uh, over the last couple of years, Democrats got trillions of dollars of spending. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Their excess partisan uh, spending sparked inflation. Republicans aren't, aren't helping matters by voting for more deficit spending. Some of the things that uh, you were angry about that uh, uh, the Democrats voted for, um, I know some of the people I talked to is they voted for border defense for certain countries while they didn't provide for our own country. No, and you know, we, we also had amendments. Uh, Mike Lee had a good amendment to preserve Title 42 because that's the only restriction right now on President Biden's open border policy. That's, you know, it's in the courts right now. It looks like that is going to be expiring. And we already see, you know, right now we're dealing seven to 8,000 people a day coming to this country illegally. Uh, they're experts saying that'll double when Title 42 expires. So, you know, we, we we tried to preserve that. Uh, Democrats had a, you know, what they call side-by-side -side amendment, just a ruse, you know, so to, to, to give a couple of their members cover. Like, they they also want to secure the border. But you know, the Democrats want an open border policy. It's, it, is, it is so frustrating, as you say. They're happy to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on, for the border defense of other nations. They won't, they won't spend a dime or enact policies to secure our own. It's it's. Uh, Again, you know, John, how bad does it need to get before the voters wake up? And quite honestly, before Republicans in Congress wake up in the Senate? Well, I couldn't believe we lost Arizona with all the border problems they, they were having. Well, again, part of the problem, and I heard in Wisconsin, I conveyed this to our conferences, you know, every time a small group of Republicans gang up with 50 Democrats for the mortgage of kids' future and act really bad policy, you know, liberal policy, Democrat-like policy, it dispirits our, our voters. And you, know, you get Republican voters saying, you know, well, why should we vote for you guys? You're no better than, than Democrats. And, uh, you know, it's not a real satisfying answer. I, I know we're, we're pretty bad, but the Democrats are so much worse, which is well, true. One of the things but that's that, not a winning agenda. One, one of the things, uh, like uh, tens of thousands of college students were saying, well, the Democrats are going to give me uh, free tuition or the Democrats are going to forgive my loan even though President Biden made the commitment, but he was, didn't have the ability to make the commitment, the college students that voted believed they could. Well, that's part of our problem societal-wide, John, is that the benefits are popular. Getting free stuff is popular. And of course, Democrat, that is the party that's just giving away candy, right? And it's tasty stuff. And I always say it's a much more difficult marketing challenge being the dentist 
and you know trying to sell them the drill and the novocaine to fix the cavities. But uh, that's kind of, kind of right now the breakdown, and unfortunately, too many of uh, people in our conference are not willing to, to be the dentist. Uh, they aren't willing to educate the public and say, you know, you keep eating that candy and you're going to get a really bad cavity, and then, then we're going to have to fix it. Senator Johnson, we know each other a long time. If the Republicans don't promise and get in power to make a difference, we're not going to be able, they're not, you know, they're not going to be able to make a difference if you don't have the power, if you're not inside the door versus outside the door. No, I agree. And, and it's, it's just not a winning strategy to try and spend yourself in the minority or to, to the majority. That's what we tried doing the last two uh, elections, and it didn't work. And uh, we, we actually have to start laying out the reality for the American public. We need to show the American public that we are the party for closed borders, for national security, for fiscal sanity. You know, we, we want to preserve your children's future as opposed to mortgage it. Again, this omnibus is not the is not a step in the right direction. What else? It's Christmas Day. We're coming in. We're seven days away from a new year. We got a minute or two left. Tell us what you want to tell the American people. We have to understand how rare and precious America truly is. Uh, there's never been a country like America with, with our freedoms, with the, uh, the the opportunities that we have for our kids and grandkids. And so, I just want to you know. Hope that all all the members of your audience can find peace and comfort in in the, in the holiday season here. Uh, spend time with friends and family, and then turn their attention to next year to you know recognizing what we have and do everything we can to, to fight for our freedoms, fight for this this marvel that we call America. Senator Johnson, Merry Christmas! Enjoy the weekend with your family, and we'll catch up again real soon. Merry Christmas! Take care. We have New York Post reporter in Albany, Zach Williams. You just had a great column that came out regarding Governor Hochul's nomination of a chief judge. Uh, Zach Williams, uh, Judge Weinberg, you're very passionate about this subject, so take it away. Zach, I read your article. It's a terrific article. I think the governor has a real problem. Uh, Eight Democrats saying they're not going to support her nominee. Uh, This is going to be a split amongst the Hispanics because some of the uh, Hispanic Legislators are also progressives. That means that she's going to have to get some help from the Republicans. Am I right? I think you very well are. And by the way, as of Friday afternoon, we're now at nine Democrats. Now, there's 43 of them that are going to be in the state Senate, and she'll need 32 of them. Now, if your math is like mine, that means she can uh, take up to 11 Democratic defections and still get her nomination of Hector LaSalle through the state Senate. But at this point, it seems like she's going to need at least a few Republican votes. And the problem is, why would Republicans want to give her a win on this? Now, on the one hand, you could say, well, if LaSalle is too conservative for progressives, maybe he's a little attractive to Republicans who undoubtedly uh, wouldn't probably like who Hochul's second choice might be. Um, but that said, you know, Republicans say they're going to take, take a look at it, see what comes of it. But Hochul um, is just in a really tough spot. It's not just progressive lawmakers. It's organized labor that's against her. Some of the most powerful labor unions in the states, you know, the AFL-CIO, 1199, 32BJ, the Carpenters. These are groups that helped Hochul win that full term in office and presumably are looking for favors. Zach, this is David Patterson. I'm uh, thinking about the process even before the 
appointment of the chief judge, there were a number of groups that wrote letters about the commission that was set up to pick the seven judges that were eligible. And it was more than I've ever seen prior to a nomination. So whoever the nomination was, it was going to be somewhat controversial. Did the governor see this coming or did you as a reporter see this coming? Because I did, because I signed one of the letters. Um, And unfortunately, some legislators, and this is just to me, the height of ignorance, when they wrote the letters complaining about the process, they wrote the names of the judges they wanted considered, outing them publicly and hurting their reputations when they'd done nothing wrong. Oh, you know, you, you know more about these things than I do, surely, from, from lived experience. But I think what we are seeing is, you know, whether uh, whatever happened, the rollout of this nomination could not have pretty much gone worse for, for the governor than it has. You know, uh, a lot of these groups and um, and members of the state Senate, for that matter, you know, made it pretty clear early on that um, while they might not like all seven of those nominees, LaSalle particularly was just too far to the right for them. So you would have thought maybe just maybe that, you, you know, you float you float uh, float the name a little bit. You, you listen to people you talk. You know, certainly the governor was having these conversations with people, you know, more than a few people, you know, kind of winked and said, yes, you know. They are asking these questions about these different candidates, you know, who, you know, what are their credentials, who might be for them, who might be against them. And, you know, as soon as LaSalle's name was was nominated, we saw, you know, all a bunch of Latinos line up and say, we like this, this selection. But just as quickly, we saw, um, you know, some real trouble for the governor. And you just got to ask, you know, how much preparation and how much feeling out did she or her team really do on this? You know, Zach, in 2008... When Judge Judith Kay, the late Judge Judith Kay, stepped down, I um, it was believed by the commission that I was going to to appoint Carmen Saperic, who was a judge on the Court of Appeals and would have become the first Hispanic chief judge. And I can tell you now, 14 years later, though I never said anything at the time, yes, that was who I wanted to nominate. So what they did was they left her off the committee of the uh, group of seven that they selected. So there has been... Uh, you know, some negotiating and I would say corrupt practices on how this has all come together in the past. But this is the most sensational of uh, an appointment reaction I've ever seen. But they started well, and, off. And I think you, I think you, you the selection process itself was already leaving progressives miffed. There was some really good reporting by New York Focus the other day that pointed out that some of the, um, you know, more liberal justices on the Court of Appeals, they wanted to apply for this job, too. And their names mysteriously did not make it into the seven. You know, they're on the Court of Appeals, too. You would think uh, they might be, uh, you know, at least a couple of them. But uh, none of them made the list. And a lot of progressives were already uh, a little bit suspicious of what that would mean for who Ockel would ultimately pick. And it seems like their worst fears were confirmed with, with LaSalle. Yeah, but the, the ideological posturing and the, the lobbying to get names that certain names are acceptable and certain names are unacceptable is really not the way you should be appointing judges, especially we, the we highest court. Of guys, we have about a minute left. Uh, let's go on to uh, any other uh, – besides uh, on my list, I had George Santos, if you had any opinions. I had uh, uh, what's going on with the uh, uh, Chang, Chinese the assembly, Kai Chang uh, from the assembly. Uh, the assembly. And, and anything's on your list? 
<laughs> well, I'd just say really quick, um, A, keep an eye out for, for bills that Hochul might sit, sign in the final days of the year. There's still a couple big ones out there. Um, but as for um, Lester Chang, you know, um, however it ends up, you know, politics do not always equal, uh, you know, what's politically smart is not always necessarily the fair thing, the right thing or whatever it is. But but Lester Chang, um, you know, is a Republican. He was elected to represent a district in Brooklyn. And Asian-Americans are up in arms right now about the fact that Asian or uh, Assembly Democrats are uh, on the brink of voting to deprive him of the seat that he won over allegations that he really lives in Manhattan. Now, we might remember just in the election a few weeks ago that Asian Americans really were starting to continue their movement to Republicans. And, you know, when I think of what's going on with Lester Chang, I just think of what happened um, a couple of years now, I mean, it's a decade ago, with um, Peter Liang, the NYPD officer. That was a really good, he was accused of shooting a Kai Gurley in the NYCHA project many years ago. And um, a lot of Asian Americans were, were missed then that of all the NYPD officers involved in shootings, it was one of their own who was, um, as they argued, being made a scapegoat. And they're seeing the same thing right now with Lester Chang. You know, of all, of all the legislators who may or may not live in their district, it just so happens that the one that the Assembly Democrats are coming down hard on is an Asian American, and they just don't think that's fair. You know, and as for George Santos, you know, <laughs> you know he was supposedly the first openly gay Republican, Latino, Jewish guy from, Na- from Queens and NASA ever elected to the House of Representatives. And now we're finding out um, all of that or some of it may be true, maybe none of it. Well, he was married um, and got divorced. And something. now he, he's, <laughs> is he not Jewish? <laughs> well, apparently he said that, his, that some of his relatives uh, were, you know, escaped the Holocaust. And I believe it was Jewish Insider the other day found that that story might not add up either. So long story short, you know. Uh, he claimed all these things, and now nobody knows what's true. Somebody put his, you know, George Santos with a question mark. Is that his well, real name? I guess we're going to uh, find out next week uh, when he says he'll that's he'll right. finally say something. He said that uh, he will talk about it next week. And when asked why he has to wait until next week, he revealed that he is Santa Claus. Ah, <laughs> oh, there oh you go. Oh, God. <laughs> Have a great holiday weekend and a Merry Christmas or a Happy Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating. And God bless you, and I hope New York survives. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. You all take care. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.